Welcome everybody to today's Intelligent Property Investor Weekly Masterclass. How are you all doing? How are you all feeling through this whole Omicron surge that we've had and now we seem to be over the peak and all of that kind of stuff? I hope you're all safe. I hope you all feel fabulous. Um, and I hope that you, uh, you know, you're getting on with things because now is the time to get on with things. Now is the time to really look at, uh, you know, the opportunities that are there, step up and grab them with both hands. Now, if you're listening to me on any of the, um, the podcast platforms, I really want you to go across to my uh, website, which is iloverealestate.tv and make sure that you see all of my charts. They're all there for you to have a look at and download and do what you want to do. And there's a whole lot of other free stuff there that I know you're going to enjoy as well. So iloverealestate.tv is my website. So what's been happening during the week? All right. Rental boom, it delivers the big gains for investors. And this is the next surge that we are now seeing in the property market, is that investors are jumping on to get those higher yields. Why we prob probably passed the, the COVID peak, but why story stocks are still falling. Now, if you listened to me last week, you would have heard me talk about story stocks and uh, you know what that's really doing and what it's doing for the share market um, and how that translates into the property market. Because I'm not really interested in the share market, only how it affects the property market. How inflation caught the RBA flat-footed, uh, but why markets are wrong to expect rate hikes soon. And we're going to be talking about the surge of first home buyers has created a rental shortage and why the regions have been particularly hard hit. Uh, we're also going to get into a little bit about uh, it's going to get even worse when the borders reopen or as all of the borders reopen because some of them already have. So let's have a look at a bit of a wrap around the, the country and, and what's happening. And I want to start a little bit with the COVID peak. Now, this is just a, a chart which shows that um, the case numbers, and I don't like talking about it because it bores me to tears, but kind of have to because it affects property. Uh, the the uh, case numbers have dropped, basically. We're past the peak. You can see there for both the two major cities being Sydney and uh, New South Wales and Victoria, two states. Um, you can see there that the peak uh, was was gone and finished and we're now on the downward slide. So that's a good thing. Um, it means that, as I said, we're just getting on with it. We're over it. Let's just move on. Now, this is the active, just a follow on from that, active COVID-19 cases. And you can see again there for New South Wales and Victoria, the two major states uh, affected by it. Both of them are on the downturn. Um, and in fact, Victoria is doing better than New South Wales, which wasn't always the case. So what does that mean? Well, the stock market is jittery. Um, there's been hefty falls on the, uh, the Australian stock market, the ASX, as inflation soars. Now, there's really a fear around inflation. That's what's caused uh, some of the movement there. But the big movement, and this is really what's uh, affecting the, the figures the most, is this um, overinflated story stock. So I don't see this as a bad thing because there's a number of, of stocks, including, uh, including crypto and other things that shares as well as crypto, that are just fluff and bubble. They're, they're, not, they're not making any money. They don't produce anything. They don't sell anything. There's no balance sheet to look at. They're just, uh, they're just opportunity. They're, they're um, 
You know, it, it's, it's gambling. That's what they are. And a lot of the internet stocks have been, I'll put them in the same bracket because they haven't produced money for years. And this is really what happened in the early 2000s when we had the dot-com bubble and uh, we had the stock market go through a massive correction. So I think it's a little bit of that. If you have a look at the what we call the story stocks, which are the trendy stocks. Now, these, some of these do produce things, like Tesla. It produces cars and it's got... You know, it's, uh, it's got some, some uh, downside that's happened with it. Uh, but a lot of this is about, um, they're about the ones that are really trendy and they went up beyond what their balance sheets actually show. You can see Bitcoin, um, you know, there's uh, Virgin uh, Galactic, which is, you know, it's, is it going to make money? Well, it hasn't yet. It might if we start, you know, venturing into space on a regular basis. And you can see the others there. You know, the S&P 500 is even down. But a lot of it is because of these story stocks. So I want you to keep that in mind when you start to see all the stuff on mainstream media about the share market and how we've dropped and people have lost money and whatever else. A lot of it is because they were gambling on stuff that didn't make a whole lot of profit or that were overvalued like Tesla was um, in the stock market. You know, their balance sheets did not, did not record what the, uh, you know, the share price was. And see, this is, this is some of the fundamentals, and I'm not giving you advice in the share market. I'm not licensed to do so, not at the moment. I have been in the past, but not now, don't want to be. Um, it's not my field. I love property. I don't like shares, let alone crypto. Um, but just from a basic accounting perspective, let's just talk it about from that perspective. If you look at a share um, or a business, a company, right? We've got a listed company, and you have a look at what their balance sheet shows as assets, which takes into account their current year's earnings. So you've got your balance sheet, real core assets and earnings, right? Now, if you then look at uh, the share price and the number of shares, and you take the uh, the number of, of shares and um, divide it into their actual value, you should get their share price if everything is trading at value. But of course, that's not what happens. We get all of this, you know, share emotional stuff about, oh, this is going to happen and this has got potential and whatever else. And quite often, it can drive the price above what the actual value of the company is or conversely, it can drive it below what the value of the company is. And that gives you an opportunity to get that stock and bring it up to value. So, look, that's just a basic lesson in accounting. I'm not giving you financial advice, but I'm giving you some accounting advice. So, uh, when you start to have a look at that in respect to uh, some of these trendy stocks, they were overpriced. Um, and in some of them, they're just fluff and bubble like Bitcoin and the other things. So it's all about potential and gambling and what it might do and all of those other things. So I'm a bit biased. I know that. And some of you listening, are going, oh, you know, she's just too old. She doesn't understand or whatever else. Well, I do understand. That's the point. I've been through this a number of times when you've seen these kind of um, uh, stocks, crypto, whatever it might be that is above value. And whenever it is above value, it always, always comes down. And that's what we're seeing here, which is not a bad thing. Because what, what the trend is now then, is it flows across to hard assets, which of course are property and shares that are undervalued. 
so that's what we're seeing a shift towards now. It's a shift back to sensibility, back to some kind of uh, real value. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a good thing as far as I'm concerned. There will be some gamblers out there that are going to continue to play, some of my children included. <laughs> but, um, you know, when you, if you're looking at the longer-term picture and everything else and you're looking at, at a, ha putting your money into assets that have real value, then you've got to look at the real value. And that's where property and, uh, and solid stocks really come into play. Anyway, enough of that. Uh, inflation. Now, inflation has uh, surprised the RBA, um, but it's not as bad as it looks. So, the RBA come, came out oh, a year or two ago and saying, a year ago there was, saying that their expectation was that we would be at a certain level with a certain uh, degree of, um, uh, you know, inflation and unemployment and other things. And the likelihood is that they wouldn't lift interest rates until 2024. Well, the thing is that the, the key line figures being unemployment and inflation, and they set targets, ranges, where we had to be within those ranges. Well, we've hit those ranges. In fact, in some cases, we've well and truly hit those ranges. But um, it, that you've got to take this into a bigger perspective because the forecasts are ahead of time, yes, does that mean that we're immediately going to see interest rate rises? No, because of what is causing some of these things and what is to come. And the RBA will not lift interest rates until there is a steady consistency of real eco economic results sitting within the bandwidth of inflation and unemployment. And at the moment, we're seeing spikes for varying reasons, and I'll talk about that right now. So this is the annual inflation, as you can see. So that's the, the headline inflation and then trimmed for seasonally adjusted. So we actually aren't as high as we were coming through, um, coming through 2008 and 2009 being the correction for GFC. And this is this bandwidth that I'm talking about. So you can see there that we've got into the bandwidth there for, um, for CPI, which is inflation. Uh, but it, we've only just made it in. Now, if it consistently stays within that bandwidth, then the likelihood is, yes, interest rates will rise. And they will eventually. I mean, they can't stay low as they are right now, which is the lowest we've ever had in the entire history of Australia forever. They will go up. But I don't think they're going to go up quickly. I think that's the important thing to understand. So, yes, we've gone into that bandwidth from inflation. Um, but it's, it's one spike in, and you can see we've been well below it for some time. Now, what that means is we're looking at the RBA, the Reserve Bank of Australia, and how they have been forecasting where we were going to be at certain periods of time. So you can see there the red one was in November of 2020, and the expectation was that we would remain low for some time. It was reviewed in February of 2021, it was revised up, and then in May of 2021 it was even higher, and then August and November, and the blue line is where we're at right now. So we're actually ahead of time. Now, on top of that, we've also got the stopping of quantitative easing. So the, whilst the Reserve Bank of Australia didn't rise the official interest rate from 0.1%, it 
what it did do is it said we are stopping the printing of money that's been going on and flushing through the economy. So that in its, itself is going to have a stabilising effect. It'll have a slowing effect. So the Reserve Bank needs to see how that plays out before anything really starts to hit hard as far as interest rates are concerned. So, you know, the markets think that there is a 100% probability that interest rates will rise by 2022. I think that's bunkum. I think it is highly unlikely. And my reasoning is that this inflation increase is largely due to an imported increase in inflation. And part of that also is as an effect of the supply chain uh, issues that are underlying the inflation. So you can see there in this chart, you can see that transport, you know, it's a massive um, upward indicator. That's fuel. You know, that's fuel. It's shortages with trucks and isolation and COVID and labour supply and all of that flow on effect. Um, clothing and footwear is all about imports and how the freight, again, particularly ships, has more than doubled. So, you know, to get anything into Australia, the, the cost of getting it into Australia has more than doubled because of the, you know, the, the shipping confinements and everything else that they've had there. So that's gone up. Um, housing, obviously, has gone up. So that's pushing the figures up, but it's not a real inflationary, um, you know, compound. Um, recreation and culture has gone up because we're, we're busting at the seams to get out of lockdown and all of those sorts of things. Um, and a little, and a lot of the flow-on effect of insurance claims is actually pushing up the insurance and financial advisory section as well. So, you know, you look at all of that and you go, okay, yep, we're up, but we've spiked up. And those reasons are predictable reasons. Now, this was put out by NAB in their, uh, their recent survey that the economists, the NAB economists put out. And it talks about the uh, purchase cost growth. And you can see there that, you know, the, the underlying costs have gone up. They have. Materials have gone up. You know, we're shipping a lot of our timber over to the USA to meet their housing demand. So we can hardly buy a, you know, a, a stud to go in a housing wall at the moment. You've got to wait for all sorts of things. So all of the material costs have definitely gone up. But supply is still at a bottleneck. You know, um, China's uh, containerized freight, freight index, you can see here, the cost, as I said before, just look at that chart. You can see how much the cost of freight has gone up. And that is pushing a lot of these inflationary figures through. So it's imported inflation to a large degree. Sure, housing's having an impact. Um, but most of that, that spike is due to imported inflation. And this is why I want you to think about what that means for you and, um, and housing and whether you know, you're concerned about interest rates and things like that. I think we've still got a long period of time of low interest rates um, before we start to see any significant increases that are going to affect your bottom line by any large degree. And look, if you're that thin on the ground uh, to be uh, affording your, your loans, you probably shouldn't be in them. You know, you should, be, you should be out there getting yourself educated. You should be into deals that are making money. Um, you should be getting out of your McMansions with your McMortgages and getting it into something where your, your home is actually a deal. It's not, a, it's not something that, you know, your you, you pride and joy that your dream house 10, 20 years before you can actually afford it. All of those sort of things. Um, that's all about education because there's plenty of opportunity out there to make a lot of money in this market. 
but you're not going to do it by buying the four-bedroom, two-bathroom, double lock-up garage in the burbs, which is negatively geared. That is going to hurt you, and that's what, um, you know, if you're that close to, to not being able to afford it, well, as I say, you shouldn't be in it. You should, you know, pull your money out and actually get educated because that's the wrong stuff to be in. There's plenty of good stuff. You don't want to be wasting your time in rubbish. Anyway, I'll get off my soapbox. How long can the rental boom actually last? You know, rental prices for 2021, ending December, grew by 9.4%, which is the fastest pace since 2007. And you can see there that massive increase that we see there. So, you know, that's, that's putting a lot of investors back into the property market because a lot of, you know, held off for a while before they put their money back into the property market. But the yield is so good. You know, you, you, the yield that you're getting on your... Um, on your, your properties is so much greater than, uh, you know, anywhere else that you're actually putting your money, even, even those stocks that have great dividends. So what are we seeing? As you can see there across the cities, you can see how much the, um, the rents have gone up in the last 12 months. You know, Sydney, 9.2. Melbourne's a bit of a snail at the moment, and that's mainly due to the massive oversupply of the units in inner city Melbourne because a lot of those were occupied by students, um, which obviously went home with COVID, and they're only now just starting to trickle back. So that's why Melbourne's uh, yields are so, so lower than anybody else. You know, Brisbane, 10.6. Adelaide, 8.5. Perth, 10.3. Um, Hobart, 12.7, Darwin, 15.2, and Canberra, uh, 8%. Now, look, uh, places like um, Darwin and Perth, but more so Darwin, uh, a lot of that is because of uh, restrictions of being able to enter. And a lot of people who've been working in the mining industry and the like haven't gone home to their house in, you know, the coast and eastern states or whatever else um, they've stayed and they've rented places in the Territory because, uh, you know, they may not get back in to go to work. So a lot of that is a little bit of a, um, a bit of a boost there. But generally, the regions have done really, really well. And you can see here, oh, this is just the last 12 months when you take units into account. Um, you know, the, the regions have actually grown uh, substantially as well. I mean, they, I know they're showing the capital cities there. And you can see there where... Um, even, you know, units uh, in, um, in Darwin are up around the 15%, which really kind of highlights that what I said before about that, that increase in yield. And there's the 10-year figures showing, you know, look at Hobart, 54% increase. If you go over the last 10 years, 50% uh, for units, absolutely crazy figures. Um, and you combine that with the regionals, you can see there, you know, 33% in regional areas, 41% um, in units in regional areas, because there has actually been a bit of a, a mass exodus out of the capital cities, particularly inner city uh, areas, and, um, you know, the tree change, the sea change, the whatever else, and that's made affordability uh, an issue in the regional areas. Property prices have gone up in regional areas dramatically. Uh, and the, the demand for, for rentals has gone up as well. So we're seeing that trend right across the board in all capitals. This is the uh, gross yield as at uh, December. And you can see, you know, they're, they're good returns. Look at, <laughs> look at Darwin. Darwin's just off the charts. You know, 5.6% yield, 6.8% yield. Um, and with the exception of 
um, Melbourne and to some extent Sydney, uh, they're the lower lower yields. And the reason that is prices have gone up too. So the percentage between yield and price, you know, it's been affected. Tim Lawless, he's, uh, he's one of the head economists there with uh, CoreLogic. He says, investors, while still active in the market, have been dwarfed by an over-representation of owner-occupiers entering the market. Um, upgrading or buying holiday homes that aren't being added to the rental pool. Uh, this is only being played out in the rapid growth in regional rental markets. While demand has risen, we generally haven't seen much on the supply response. Same old story, demand and supply, we are over demand and under supply. And it's exacerbated by people buying holiday houses, you know, whether it's in the, the regionals on the coast, whether it's been a, you know, a country change or whatever else, and that is really having an impact in those regional areas. New South Wales regional rental vacancies drop by 1%. Um, it was in the Financial Review recently. The number of first home buyers, you can see there, even though in uh, you know, 2021, it was only the beginning of 2021 that we started to see um, the pullback with the grants and other things for first home buyers, you know, that uh, they're still really strong for that, for that year. Now, this is going to play out big time in the next couple of years. What we see here is the dramatic fall in overseas arrivals. Now, that is going to change. That is going to add to um, the, the demand for rentals. Uh, immigration hasn't opened up yet for people to be coming to Australia. And I think that chart really shows just how dramatic uh, that impact has been. Once we start getting those levels up to where they've been tracking, slowly going up, up and down, up and down, but slowly on that one trend, we've got a hell of an increase to get back to, to that trend line. And as soon as that happens, we are going to see a massive demand for housing. And when you have a massive demand for housing, property prices go up, yields go up. And that's what's ahead of us. You know, we haven't got there yet, but that's what's ahead of us. And it will take some time before the supply chain catches up for that. And that is why I'm saying we've got a number of years ahead of us of really strong growth. Now, the quarterly net internal migration, you can see we've fallen off the charts. So there's, there's a, a, a greater capital city combined. You can see that there's been a mass exodus out of the capital cities. Um, and normally that's being topped up by people coming in with migration. Uh, so it's exacerbated by that. But it, you know, work from home, tree change, sea change, all of these things means that there has been a big push into the regional areas. And you just wait until this happens. When migration comes back to where it was or, you know, similar levels to where we were pre-COVID, oh my goodness, we are going to see a, a surge beyond belief, particularly in the capital city. So you just wait. It's, you know, it is something that, that you, uh, you know, you, you haven't seen in this kind of this kind of um, push. I mean, it's a little bit like the migration when we opened the doors after the war. What happened to the property prices in 1951? Oh my goodness, they went up over 50% in one year. And they continued then until supply reached demand. And it was, it was because of our recovery out of the war. This is recovering out of a war. It's called COVID this time, not World War III. 
Um, it might be called World War Three in time to come, but it's a war, and uh, you know that's that we're, we're in the recovery phase out of that, and you're going to see those kind of returns again as soon as we open those borders to migration. Holy moly! You just wait and see what happens, and you've got to be part of it. Now, the way that to, to be part of it is you've got to focus on this. Now, I am. I will encourage you, I am congratulating you for actually listening to this podcast or watching me on YouTube or any of the other things because you're already ahead of the curve. Because what you focus on is what, you know, you get what you focus on, so focus on what you want. And if you want to get exceedingly wealthy, property is the way to do it. But smart property, educated property. Because without focus, you achieve nothing. So let's focus, let's act. And the way to do that, if you are not already one of my amazing I Love Real Estate members, you need to be. And you need to take up one of my free 60-minute real estate breakthrough sessions with one of my advisors. I put some times aside. You can click through. Go to iloverealestate.tv forward slash questions forward slash and go armed with what you want. You know, write your goals down. They can talk to you about your goals, dreams, aspirations, and, and what you've got to do to get there and how we can help you with that. So jump on there. There's only a few available for the week. Jump on there. Get one of those appointments because it's time to get smart rather than start investing smarter rather than harder because harder will only slow you down. So that's it for me this week. Thank you for listening. That is my Intelligent Property Investor Masterclass. I hope you enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, it's not time to be dilly-dallying. It's time to actually get out there and take some action. So take up one of those appointments, iloverealestate.tv forward slash questions, and I'll be seeing you real soon. Bye for now.